Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. We want to welcome those online. Thanks for being joining us and being part of this today. It's a privilege to have you here. Are you ready for the word today? Who was here for the ladies' event yesterday? Ladies' event. Did you have a great time? Apparently had a wonderful time. Praise God. I love that. It's great. Let's pray and we'll go. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to come under your word. And Father, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today, we pray. God, that you would speak to us and bring transformation to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've had Vision Sunday over the last two weeks. We had two weeks ago here at Padstow. And then last week, I was over at Preston's. And we had Vision Sunday there. It was a great time. Uh, we, we celebrated David Odges as we celebrate Pleasant Vision Sunday for all that he's done for us over many years. We prayed for a whole stack of people. Um, two people committed their life to Jesus. It was a really um, incredible time. But what else happened on that day was this. Here is a picture of the worship team. Anyone know anything about the, the worship team? So that's my son, Aiden, leading worship, my son, Joel, playing drums, my beautiful wife, Michelle, playing bass guitar, and my daughter playing keyboard. Now, that was a pretty, uh, pretty uh, amazing day. I was uh, pretty, pretty uh, blessed by that. Um, it was a great day, but that just made it a whole, a whole lot better. Now, um, the uh, reason I share this with you is because this didn't happen overnight, <laughs> For this to happen, for my kids and my family to be leading worship, it's taken years of input, of dedication, of commitment, investment, in order to get them to the place where they're at today. I, uh, I, uh, I wrote down this statement, and I'm not, writing, I'm not showing you this to get a big head or pride, it's not. It's about the, uh, the uh, journey I went on. And there's three lines to this, and there's three bits to this. Here it is. I was deliberate in investing in them with what I had to give. When my kids were small, I had a vision for them that they would be able to learn music and play music in church so that no matter what church they're in, they will be a blessing to that community because music are super important. And so my vision for them, all, all my kids, is for, for them to be able to play drums, guitar, keyboard, sing and lead worship, all of them. That's my vision. That's my dream. You might think that's a big dream, but you've got to start somewhere, hey. And so that was my, I, that is my idea, that is my dream for them. So that was my deliberate idea. The second thing was, I then took that idea and I deliberately invested in them. And so Michelle started playing the piano when she was a teenager and played classical music. But then when she hit about the year, 18 years of age, I found out that she played piano and she wasn't playing in church. So I taught Michelle how to tr- transition from classical music to church music. And we played in church. And then when my kids were born, they were doing Chris Tomlin in the pram. If you know who Chris Tomlin is, the guy who wrote Holy Forever, that song. And then from the age of four, about then, Aiden started playing drums. And we would come down on a Wednesday, and I'd play guitar and sing, and Aiden would play drums. And then on a Saturday, we'd come again so that he was ready for Sunday. And it wasn't just Aiden, it was Joel as well. I spent hours and days and must be weeks and months investing into my kids so they can do what they do today. Yeah? It's a massive investment. And the third thing is that I gave them what I had to give. I didn't teach them how to do Rubik's Cubes. 
I know nothing about Rubik's Cubes. I didn't teach him how to slam dunk, although I can... No. I didn't teach him how to draw some beautiful mural or paint, because I can't do that either. I taught them music because that is what I have, and that is what I can offer them. And the beautiful thing now is that Aiden and Joel are taking what they've learned and learning and now investing it into the young people of our church. My son Joel is teaching Annabelle how to play drums. And my son Aiden has is, is taught Tyler from Preston how to play drums. And they help in many areas of music. They are a blessing. Amen. My kids are a blessing. And they are taking what they have and they are being deliberate in investing what they have in other people. I wonder if you've ever done that. I wonder if you've ever had the opportunity to deliberately invest what you have in someone else. Now, if you're a parent, hopefully you're deliberately investing in your children. We need to think about what we do as parents and be deliberate. Maybe you're a teacher and you've got kids in your class and you're investing in them. Maybe you're in the workplace and you're training someone or you've got an apprentice and you've taught them. Maybe you're a leader and you're training another leader in the church to do what you do. And then when they do it and to see them do it, it is so rewarding watching them do what you've taught them to do. But then it goes a step further. When they then teach others what you taught them, that's just a whole other level of excitement and beautiful. And friends, there is a picture of our theme for the year, Multiply, where we're deliberate about investing what we have in others, and they take it, they learn it, then they, then they take what they've learned, and they're deliberate about investing what they have in others. And those who receive it, take it, and they're deliberate about receiving and investing what they have in others, and we have a multiplication effect from generation to generation. On Vision Sunday, I talked about, what are these? Oranges. And I said to you that the kingdom of God is like an orange. Why is it like an orange? Because when, when I say the kingdom of God, I'm talking about God's people living out their faith on this earth. There's a picture of the kingdom. You see the kingdom of God when God's people live out their faith on this earth. When people do that and you see it lived out, it's like looking at a beautiful, ripe, round... He wants to eat this orange. Don't you just go, that is, I want to eat that orange. Just me, right? Just me and Michelle before and just me, we're on it. Um, It's like going, this is a great looking orange. And when Christians live out their faith and we see it, we go, wow, that's incredible. But then when you're on the other side of it and you experience Christians living out their faith, it's like biting into a juicy orange and the stuff, as it did on Vision Sunday, leaks down your faith and then it dries and it gets all sticky and you have to wipe your face. But to eat that orange is so beautiful to taste. And the kingdom of God is like an orange because when Christians live out their faith and you experience it, it's a beautiful thing. But the third reason why the kingdom of God is like an orange is because of the potential within an orange. Within an orange, there is between six and eight seeds. And if you get one seed and you plant it and it grows into a tree, from that one tree, you can get up to 600 oranges just from one seed. And a reminder that every orange has between six and eight seeds. So from every orange, you can get potential of four thousand oranges just from one orange. And the kingdom of God is like this because of the, the increasing growth multiplication of God's church. God took 120 people on day of Pentecost and thousands and thousands and thousands have been added to his church generation after generation to, to today 
There's about 2 billion people who have committed their life to Jesus. And I told you on Vision Sunday, I did the compound growth effect. The compound growth number, what was the number? Yeah, 84% growth, year on year on year on year on year. Yeah, that's amazing, remember that. 84% growth, the, uh, God's church has grown. God's church is a multiplication church. It's an increase, it's a growing community. And God is going to do it here, God is going to do it in our lives, He's going to do it across the globe as His church continues to expand. Here's a thought for you guys. It goes, the kingdom of God grows as we take people from decisions to disciples. The key to multiplication is investing. Investing in people who have made decisions for Jesus. We love them. We support them. We train them. We equip them. We help them. We teach them to read the word. We teach them to pray. We teach them to worship. And they become disciples of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, they bear fruit. People taste the fruit, they see the fruit, they partake the fruit, and the, seed, and the word of God is planted in their life, and they become a, another decision for Jesus. And with these people who make decisions for Jesus, we gather around them, we love them, we equip them, we train them, and eventually they become a disciple of Jesus, and a disciple shares what they have with the world around them. And people taste and see the Lord is good, and they experience the kingdom, and they want it for themselves. And the word of God is planted in their lives, and we have another decision. Another decision. And we love them and support them and they grow and they bear fruit. And then another decision and they grow to be disciples and they, make, and they bear fruit and they, another decision. This is the multiplication of the kingdom of God. It works as we invest in people's lives and as we offer what we have to give to the world around us. Here's the thought. God wants us to be deliberate in investing in others with what he has given us. God wants us to be deliberate. This Christian life that God has loved you, he is for you, he has died for you, he has risen from the dead, he's given you new life, you have eternal life, and it is for you in so many ways, but it's not just for you. God's put it in you so you may bear fruit and give it to others, and that is you being deliberate in thinking, who am I going to offer it to? Who can I serve? Who can I love? Who can I pray? Who can I take through foundations? That's, that's deliberate. And then we invest in them. And on our vision night on Tuesday, which is an incredible night, I talked about creating capacity in your life to invest in others. Because if we're going to take people from, deci- from decisions to disciples, it doesn't happen on its own. God chooses to use you and me to help them on the journey to maturity to bear fruit. They can't do it on their own. And so those of us who have been in the Lord for some time need to make time to get alongside those who are newer to invest in them and help them grow. We need to be thinking about who I can share the message of Jesus with and invite them into our community so they can hear about what Jesus has done for them. This is about investing. And the third thing is about what he has given us. Now, I don't want you to feel the pressure that it's all up to you as an individual to take people from decision to disciple. God doesn't do that. He puts people in a community of believers. That's why Christians need to be in church. 
not just this gathering, but in small groups and hanging out with other Christians because you're not, called, you're not supposed to do it alone. You need people around you who can inspire you, who can encourage you, who can help you grow. And as each person brings what God is putting you, it helps that person move from here to here. If I want them to understand the cross of Christ and what God has done for them, I'm going to send them to Con because he's huge on the cross of Christ. If you want them to think bigger about their life and if, they, and, and if they want to start a business that's going to bless God's kingdom, I'm going to send them to Sam Riley. If I want someone to be loved and cared for, I'm going to send them to Reese because she's a big, cuddly, tidy, give me a cuddle. That's what she does. And then Donna is the person who walks with side those who are young in the faith and loves them. And I want to teach someone about moving in healing, Harry, the guy who ran New South Wales Healing Rooms for a season. Each one of you have got gifts that God has put in you. If you want to teach someone how to serve, and all these things are important, send them to Josh, who's got the best serving gift ever. That's a nice dream. Quite, I love that. And we want to teach them, it's as, as each one of us brings what we got, we move people from here to here, and they bear fruit, and they bring what they have into the community. God wants us to be deliberate in investing in others, with what he has given us. Which leads into our theme for this first section, first half of the year. What's in your hands? Because God wants to take what he has put in you and multiply it in others. So we need to ask ourselves what's in, what's in our hands. And, it, and our text for today is from Luke chapter 9, and it's, and it's entitled the, the Feeding of the 5,000. And if you've been in church for some while, you will know this text. It's a, it's a really, really important part of the New Testament. It's, it's, it's actually in all four Gospels. That's not normal. Um, most events are in one or two, death, resurrection, uh, parable of sower. They're in all four, and so is the feeding of the 5,000. So we need to take this uh, passage really seriously. And, and in this passage, we, we see Jesus' heart for people. We see his actions, his ability in what he did and taught. We see his power to multiply food. But it also gives us a glimpse of who he is, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But, but, but the thing I want us to focus on from this text is this. I want us to look at the number one blockage in using what's in your hands. We're going to look at the number one blockage in using what's in your hands. Let me give you the context, then we'll read it. So the context in Luke 9 is Jesus has just sent out his disciples and to preach the kingdom, to cast out demons... And they come back to Jesus. And that's when we hit the feeding of the 5,000. In Matthew's gospel, it, it, it presents it in a bit of a different way. It talks about how John the Baptist has just died. And then Jesus, you, you read how Jesus withdraws. And when you read Matthew's gospel, the reason he most probably withdraws is because his cousin, John the Baptist, has died. And he's, and he's mourning that, right? So that's the context. Let's read it. Here it is. Luke 9, verse 10. When the apostles or the disciples returned, they reported to Jesus what they'd done. They just did the preaching, the casting out demons. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew, most probably because John the Baptist had just died, by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, and that's um, at, at the north of the Sea of Galilee. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. The crowds knew what Jesus was saying and doing, and they wanted to follow him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. 
Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in, the, we are in a remote place. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. And they, and they answered, and here's the one blockage, we have only, we'll come back to that, five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks, and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. I love to be able to see that because you can say, how did he do that? How did he break up? Did it, as he broke up, did it multiply? Or was it as they went, it was multiplied? As they gave it out, was the basket refilled? We don't, we're not sure. Verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, that's an extraordinary music, a miracle, isn't it? It talks about, in Matthew's gospel, it says Jesus had compassion on the people. And although he was mourning John the Baptist's death, he still taught them about the kingdom and he healed their sick. It talks about what he did. He taught about God's kingdom and he healed people. It tells us Jesus' power to take a little bit of bread and a couple of fish, lift them up to heaven... And then it turns out to be an extraordinary amount which feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. 10, 12, 13,000 people. And there's an abundance left over. It's an extraordinary miracle. But it also points to who Jesus is. And so when you're reading a Bible passage like this, you can read it at surface level and go, wow, look what he did. Isn't Jesus amazing? But it's important when you're studying the Bible is to read it with a commentary or get a study Bible where there's notes at the bottom because it gives you a whole other level of understanding. Because in this text, there's a, there is something deeper going on. By Jesus multiplying the fish and the bread, he is making a declaration about who he is. If you go back to the Exodus and the people coming out of Egypt, as they wandered in the desert for 40 years, God gave them bread from heaven. Jesus lifted up and Jesus multiplied the bread. So Jesus is pointing to the fact that either he's like Moses, that he has connection with God, that God's going to multiply the bread. That's, that's one theory. In, in Isaiah chapter 40, it, it gives a prophecy about the shepherd who is going to feed his people. So he's fulfilling a messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40. But if you read John's gospel, and whenever you're studying passages of scripture, and the same passages in different gospels, you need to read all four, right? And, and this, this account's in John chapter 6 in John's gospel. And you read the account, and it's very similar to Luke's, but the next day, the people come back to Jesus, and Jesus makes this declaration about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the one who gives you the bread, the first of seven I am statements, where Jesus is saying, I am, like God said to Moses, Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the one who provides bread from heaven. And I am the one, if you feed on me, if you come to me, I will give you food where you never have to eat again. That's talking about eternal life. So it's not just a great miracle, but Jesus is declaring who he is. Good. 
And then we have this number one blockage that I think prevents them and also us from using what God has given us. And it's in verse 13. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And the disciples looked across this massive crowd and went, there's a lot of people here, Jesus. We have only five bread, two fish. How could five bread, two fish feed all our people? What we have is so insignificant. What we have doesn't count for much. What we have, what difference is it going to make? And I wonder if that's how you feel about what God put in your hands. When you see your gifts and your abilities that the Lord has given you, do you see them as, this is something that God has given me so that I can share with others? Or do you see what God's put in you and went, oh, I'm not very good at that? Or what difference could that make? Or that's not very significant? Or, and we see what God has put in us and we don't value it. And then so we don't use it. You know, maybe... Maybe you don't recognize and you don't offer what God's put in your hands, the gifts, the abilities, the talents to others because you don't even know how good it is. Because if it's your, if it's your talent and your gift, it's natural for you to do that thing well. You may not even know how well you do it until someone says, hey, Josh, you are an incredible man of service. Man, you love to encourage. You're a great encourager. When you teach the word of God, it just gives me, oh, man, it makes it so clear to me. I really love your passion in. And you hear that and you go, really? I thought everyone was like that. You know, one of the reasons you may not know, you may not see the significance of your gift is because it's so natural to you, but other people don't have it. A second reason is because maybe you compare your gift with someone else's gift. Now, Trin's got a gift of communicating. communicating, And she just started out speaking on a Sunday night, right? And, and she might go, oh, but Nathan's been, you might look at my gift and say, oh, I can't preach like that. This is not about Nathan again. I can't preach like that. I, I, I can't memorize it. I can't do the Bible. I've been doing it for 20 years. That's why. And Trin might look at her gift and say, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not like Nathan, therefore I can't. No. Just different stages along the journey. We are seeding our testimonies. When, 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 you say, so, when you say to someone, hey, can you share your testimony? And they say, oh, well, it's not that exciting. My wife became a Christian when she was four. How much sin can you do before you were four? Because the testimonies we want to hear are the drug dealers, gangsters, people in prison, and they get saved, and they have this radical salvation, and then they've got tattoos on their body, and their shaved head and piercings, and they're on fire for Jesus, and they're riding a motorbike. That's, they're the testimonies you want. But no, they're both miraculous. Michelle and this drug dealer, gangster, bikey, they were both in darkness. And God grabbed them and brought them into the light. Both testimonies are incredible. They're amazing. And you have a testimony that God wants you to share. Two, number three. Maybe you don't know what's in your hands. And maybe you don't know because you've never tried to use it. My encouragement to you is do some stuff. Try some things. And if you think you've got a hospitality gift and you cook brownies and you feed brownies to people and people go, oh, that is disgusting, you haven't got a hospitality gift, <laughs> right? If you think you've got an encouragement gift and go, man, I just want to encourage you today. Uh, I've noticed that you've put on some weight 
and uh, man, you're not looking as good as what you did last. Maybe you haven't got encouragement, right? And maybe if you think you can talk, um, you're a communicator, but when you talk, things aren't clear all the time, or maybe that's not your gift either. Try some things and see where it lands. See where people go, you know what, that's something that you do, and it is pretty awesome. When the disciples brought the fish and the bread to Jesus, they brought what they thought was insignificant. And God, what could you possibly do with this? But what did Jesus do with it? He multiplied it. And that's what happens when you bring your gift to Jesus. So here it is, God, I'm going to use it. God takes it, and he uses it, and he multiplies it. Today, this message might, might stir in you. And, and something that I say or something that's stirred, you might take it, and you might do something for someone else using your gift, and that might have an incredible effect on that person's life. And because of what you've done for them, they might take it, and they might be a teacher, and they might influence the way they teach their class because of what I shared and what you shared And this teacher now influences the kids in their class, and these kids grow up with these values because of what they've heard three or four generations earlier. God can multiply what we do as we offer them to him. He is the multiplying God. He wants to take what's in your hands, and he wants to grab it, and he wants to multiply and distribute it to as many people that they are blessed and encouraged in their walk with the Lord. What happened if... What happens if people do not use what's in their hands? Yell out the answer. What happens if people don't use what's in their hands? Who misses out? We miss out. So if you don't use your gift, we miss out. I miss out if you don't use your gift here. I miss out. It takes a community to raise a child. It takes a community to take people from decisions to disciples who bear fruit. We need each one of us playing our part, bringing what we have to our community so that we grow to become disciples of Jesus who bear fruit, who build disciples, who build decisions, who become disciples, who become decisions, who become disciples, and see the kingdom of God multiply. Imagine a church where we didn't have Marcelo's faith. Imagine a church or or Melody's new ideas and passion and her ability to welcome people. Imagine a church where people weren't weren't welcome like like Mel welcomes people. Imagine a church where Annabelle doesn't play keyboard and Juicy Jackson doesn't lead us in worship. Imagine a church like that. Imagine a church where Constantinos doesn't talk about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Imagine a church where we haven't got Belinda's safe church stuff that you bring not just to this church, but to the church. And we celebrated your vision Sunday, by the way. Good. I hope you had a lovely dinner with your husband. Not yet. Do it later. Um, We want to celebrate you, Belinda, for what you do. Imagine a church without our sound people and our musicians and our kids leaders and our Christy, our youth pastor, and her team of youth leaders. Imagine a church without a prayer team that comes and prays for us on a Sunday morning. It'd be awful. It'd be a Nathan show. And who wants that? No. We want everyone playing their part, doing their thing. Here it is. Last thought for the day. 
God wants us to be deliberate in investing in others what he has given us. Deliberate, not just, oh, if it comes along. No, I'm going to be praying about it. I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm going to be thinking about who I can invest in. Then I'm going to make time in my schedule, my life, to get alongside these people who have not yet made a decision, get them to make a decision, equip them to become disciples, then share my gift with the world so that other people can get to become, to become decisions. We need to be deliberate in investing. And don't do someone else's gift. Do your gift. You do you. You bring what God has put in you for the benefit of the body. We're in this together. As we finish, two questions for you. Ben, come on down. I want us to spend a minute just pondering and reflecting on these two questions. Number one is, ask yourself, what's in your hands? What's God? What gifts? What passions? What abilities? What has God put in you? And if you're unsure, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. And at the end of this message, we're going to sing a little bit. And we're going to have a prayer team here. And if you're unsure about your gifts or you think your gifts are insignificant, and you need to change your mindset. You need to change that mindset. We want to pray for you today. And the second thing I want you to ponder is, who should you be sharing it with? Maybe it's someone in your workplace who's not yet a Christian, or a friend who's not yet a Christian, and God has been preparing their heart. We're multiplying this year. We're declaring that as a church. I believe God's working in your friend's life, that he's working in your family's life, and God is going to use you to bring the message of Jesus to them. And I say that by faith. Let's walk in that. Because when you walk in faith, you see God do incredible things. Or maybe it's getting alongside someone who's made a decision and taken them through foundations so they grow to be a disciple of Jesus, a mature disciple who bears fruit. Maybe it's to serve on a team. We're going to talk about more about that or make a difference Sunday on the 10th of March. But let's just spend a minute in prayer and just consider these two questions. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and after a minute, the team will lead us again. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.